0: Big companies like Ikea and Salesforce trust Postmark to deliver millions of emails every day. And today, their product manager will tell us how they use smart project plans, rapid prototyping, and user testing to keep things running like clockwork.
1: This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help. Your host Jay Cornelius.
0: Hey, everybody! We are excited to have Rian from Postmark with us today. It's just Rian, kind of like Madonna or Prince or somebody else who's really great at what they do. Um, we're really fortunate to have him on the show today. Hey, Rian, how you doing?
2: Good, thanks. Um... Yeah, I do have a last name. It's just really difficult to pronounce, so don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. We were talking a little bit before the show, and uh, you mentioned that there's a couple different pronunciations. Um, so where are you from, and how did you get to Postmark, and and what's going on over there?
2: Sure, yeah. I'm uh, originally from South Africa. I grew up there, um, studied there, did, did some engineering, uh, did an engineering degree, and then uh, after that, I, I moved to Australia to f- to continue my studies, and that's where this – how I ended up in the U.S. is kind of a story about a girl, as it sometimes is. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I met my wife there, and uh, it sounds really creepy when I say it like this, but I followed her back to the U.S. because she was from San Diego. Uh, but it ended up working out fine. I don't know how the story would have ended if if it didn't work out fine. But <laughs> we ended up uh, getting married. So I uh, that's when I moved to the U.S. Um, after my studies in Australia, and I started my career um, pretty much right away uh, at eBay. So I was at eBay's uh, user experience research team for a long time in in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I moved to a startup and moved back to Cape Town. We moved back to Cape Town, South Africa for four years, Uh, did a bunch of product work there, design work, uh, also some agency work. And then uh, we decided that it was time for a change. So we picked Portland out of a hat, no real reason. It just sounded like a cool place. Uh, which just sounds so scary now that I say it out loud. But uh, we moved here and, yeah, I had a few, I had a couple of, uh, worked at a couple of places in healthcare and and things like that. But uh, I've been at Postmark now for almost a year. So, and and hope to, I'm I'm what I'd like to call a a Wildbit lifer. (laughs) So, uh, our Postmark is made by a company called Wildbit. Uh, We make tools for developers um, and uh, it's a fantastic uh, place to, to work and to do, to do great work. Um, so my current role is as uh, the product manager for Postmark. It's the first official uh, product manager that, that Wildbit has is, is hired. So it was kind of a long hiring process and lots of discussions with the founders and catching up and talking about things. Because I think that's one of the big things that I always notice uh, when startups – uh, move from uh, or hire the first product manager. It's a really scary thing because we yeah, tend to be <laughs> strange. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a role that I think is absolutely essential, but it's such a intimate role with the product and the founders that it it they they have to. Take really good care of of who they hire, so it was kind of a long process but we're we're about a year in and it's going really well. so postmark is a transactional email platform we uh, We're an infrastructure for websites and apps that send transactional emails. so those are your triggered emails like password resets and uh, um, comment notifications and uh, those kind of like welcome emails like those really right, anything that's not emails.
0: a marketing email right?
2: Right. So we explicitly don't allow marketing or bulk email on our platform, which is uh, – we, we can maybe talk about that a little later. But it was very much uh, it's a strategic decision uh, on, on the company's part because we feel like our biggest uh, – um, our, our, our best feature and our biggest feature that we want to focus on is our deliverability and, and the speed at which we get our emails to the inbox. Um, and if you throw marketing email into the mix on that, it, it – gets a little harder for your ip's reputations to stay really good because you get more spam complaints you get less engagement with marketing email all that kind of stuff so we focus exclusively on uh on on email that you would consider mission critical for your app email that cannot get lost like where a single one can cost you money those are the emails that we focus on
0: yeah like lost password um Exactly. Account confirmation, order confirmations, those things that people really rely on to make sure that something happened in it and it's actually working, right?
2: Exactly. And and not just they need to get it. They need to get it quickly. Like if you wait 30 seconds for a password reset email, you start to get a little antsy. Yeah, <laughs> so, you start
0: to get frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your your day to day work look like there? I mean, so what type of things are you doing? Um, What type of feedback are you collecting from customers? How are you making decisions about the product? Kind of walk us through what uh, what that looks like.
2: Yeah. So we're we're a small team. We have a couple of designers, one product manager and about uh, four or five developers on. Who work specifically and exclusively on Postmark, and the role, as with most product manager roles, has shifted a little bit uh, over the past year. So, when I first came on, uh, I was lucky enough to start just as we had our first company or our yearly company retreat. So, Wildbit is a remote first company. Half of the team is in Philadelphia, in in our head office in Philadelphia, and the rest of us, including me, are spread all over the world. So we get together. Uh, once a year as a team, and I started a week before that. So we spent that week uh, basically doing a bunch of product discovery, uh, which is what I think we'll talk about a little bit later uh, in detail. So the first, I would say, six months of my time at, at Postmark was mostly centered around Um, figuring out our strategy and our vision going forward. So understanding the problems that we're solving for customers, uh, coming up with with our target market and, and personas. and But I know personas can be kind of a dirty word, but we actually use them <laughs> uh, um, because we use them to narrow down who we're actually for and who we're not for, which is the part where I think personas can be really useful in terms of making product decisions.
0: Yeah, so and, if you think of a persona as like a market segment or a customer group instead of a, the word persona, it's essentially the same thing, right? So who are you making something for what are they trying to accomplish? What are their pain points? What are they looking to gain? All of that stuff.
2: Yeah, the reason I like the word, still like the word persona, even though it's fallen out of fashion a little bit, is is that it's focused on the product decisions that that we want to make based on who that target market is. Because yeah, if you right. just if you talk about target market, it, it becomes a lot about messaging and brand positioning and stuff like that. And personas are helpful for that too, but for us we really use it for product decisions as well. Like if if there's a request that comes in from a customer and it's not in our target persona, it makes it easier for us to make those decisions.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So in those personas, are you also using a tool like a value proposition canvas to understand how a particular persona or group's needs are mapping to specific product features?
2: So we're using customer journey maps for that. So as part of the first... Uh, that that week we had, and as part of product discovery, we uh, we came up with with the current customer journey and then an ideal customer journey map of how we want things to go uh, online as well as offline. So this included. Um, how people would find out about us all the way through to integrating with our app, uh, as well as our drip campaigns, like our our onboarding, all of that stuff. And then when when we worked on personas, those those are mapped to those uh, specific uh, journeys. And when we, uh, especially in the beginning when we came up with our long-term strategy that we're bound to read or revisit now that it's a year in uh we look specifically at which personas we want to focus on and then which parts of the customer journey do do we need to focus on the most for each of those
0: personas so interesting Um, so do you redo the map on an annual basis or how often do you revisit that
2: so we uh kind of skipping (laughs) ahead and back so uh yeah we we don't I wouldn't say we're, we're going to redo the map uh, the customer journey map when we meet up but what we will do is say is this still correct is this still where we want to go is this is the strategy and the vision that we came up with still who we are and what's most important to us most of the time for most of those things it's going to be yes because we don't we uh, we catch up every week about our priorities and stuff so it's there's nothing new there um, but what what might be what will probably change is which part of that journey we focus on right um, like the the onboarding has big a big been a big focus for us at the moment, so um it's possible that we might shift into areas uh, of the app later on in the process with integration or, or maybe earlier on in the process with, with with how you find Postmark and how we define who we are. Um, so that's what we do in our quarterly planning as well, is we look at that customer journey map, we see where we are, and, and we revisit our priorities for that.
0: Yeah, and um, you said something that, that was interesting. So you do that kind of on an annual basis and then you have quarterly journey map revisions or quarterly meetings to review that. But then you said you also get together weekly and make sure that everything's going on. So are you following like an agile methodology or are you just having weekly standups to make sure things are on track? Like how do you make sure that things keep moving in the right direction?
2: Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, we, I, I think it's a big, goal for us not to turn ourselves into a big company and that's something that i'm (laughs) i'm still trying to adjust to um so we try to to keep meetings to a minimum um since we're all, all remote um and we're all most of us are remote and but we try to then be extremely efficient in those meetings so the how this all cascades down is we have our quarterly planning where uh i usually go to philly and and we get together and discuss this as a as a Lead's team, so the lead developer and the the, um, the founders, and and we discuss those priorities and what we learn from customers during the quarter, and uh, and and we kind of come up with a rough plan. We don't come up with dates; we come up with our list of priorities that we want to work on, um, the things that are most important uh, for us to work on. Now, uh, again, we might change some of this uh, now that it's a year in. We we're actually thinking of shortening that to, to maybe six or eight weeks. Um, but right now, those are quarterly planning cycles. And then um, I, I pretty much have three meetings in a week, and that's it. So on Fridays, we have our weekly check-in as a leads team where we discuss it, just general strategic stuff around the uh, around the product, but also how our project's going. Also, is there anything new that we need to talk about? Because roadmaps shouldn't be static. Roadmaps should be uh, – if, if it's static, you're in trouble. So yeah, good I think point. a lot of the reason why roadmaps have a bad name is that they're set for six to nine months, and then you're just stuck on them. So we, we would never stop work – I shouldn't say never, but we would extremely rarely stop work midway. But we would say, oh, there's a new thing that's really important, so after we're done with this, this needs to, that thing needs to come higher in the priority list and something else needs to move down. So we use that meeting to make sure that our priorities are still aligned. And sometimes it's a five-minute meeting because we just go, yep, everything's still the way it is. And sometimes it's an hour and a half as we discuss through things. And then on, on Mondays, we have uh, an OKR meeting. So we follow objectives and key results. And particularly, we use a matrix that Christina Watke talks about in her book, Radical Focus, um, that gets the team aligned. So it's basically these are objectives and key results. Uh, this And this is our confidence level that we're going to meet those objectives and key results by the end of the quarter we talk about health checks so we have certain metrics in place for the product things like how fast do our emails get to the inbox uh, how 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 good is our throughput what's our performance like that we just check on and make sure that everything is still good uh where we want it to be if if it's not we talk about it and, and might make some adjustments so that's the OKR okay, side of the matrix and then on the other side we just discuss with the team these are the things we want to get accomplished this week and these are the releases that are coming up in the next four weeks this is a meeting with the whole team and what this does is it it helps us helps everyone including customer success and marketing um, prepare for launches that are coming and it gives us stakes in the ground to say here are the things that we really want to get done this week and that needs to get done this week if we still want to meet our OKRs. Mm-hmm. So what's a little different about this is that there's we don't we, we don't have release dates until we're about four to six weeks out. Um, and of course unless it's just a week-long projects then then we have it but.
0: So are you releasing every week?
2: um it we release when we're ready so we don't have uh, that's what i'm trying to get to is we we're, we're one of those spirit of agile companies <laughs> oh <laughs> right we, right
0: so it's <laughs> not like a de- continuous integration thing as much as when you've got a feature ready to go you start mapping its release
2: yes and and we deploy when we're ready so there's no there's no specific we need to wait until this cycle is done or until the sprint is done right uh, we We work on our priorities in order, and when they're done, we qa them and release them. Got it. Um, sometimes things go together, and there's dependencies and all that stuff. but uh, instead of saying, Are we' talking about this this week, you know there's when it comes to kind of release planning, there's three different ways, and one of them is really bad, and the other two is is pretty good The, the first one that's really bad is when someone says to you, "We have to release this by this date." And then, because then your scope and your dates are fixed. And and the second way is to say uh, we want to release this. How long will it take? So the the scope is fixed and the date is not. And and mm-hmm. the third way is to say uh, we want to release something by this date. What can we get done? And right. we're following kind of a a combination of the second and third, where. We really say, okay, this is a, a piece of work that we want to get done. We think it's going to take six to eight weeks, so let's start working on it. But then at some point, as you go, you might be two weeks in and realize, oh, there's an infrastructure piece that we didn't account for. It's going to add two weeks to the project. And then you have to decide, um, and this, again, is where our leads meeting come in. Then you have to decide, do we add two weeks to the project or do we cut scope out of it so that we remain in our,
0: let's say, six-week um, uh, cycle, right. So, how are you? I, mean, I guess that depends on the scenario. But what kinds of things are you thinking about when you're making the decision on whether to push the release or scale back the scope?
2: It, at that point, it it comes to the 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 value that it provides to the business and the other work that it would push out. Um, so, if if something is is crucial for the rest of the business to work on. Uh, or to or to continue with, we might stretch out the timeline and just get it done. Um, if it's if we need, let's say that developer to move on to other things, we'd figure out what's the how do we need to reduce the scope to still have something useful and valuable, um, and then leave the rest of it for a later phase. So it's yeah. one of those those art type things where you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really kind good, of on
0: a case by case basis, right? Yeah, a
2: very different. And and as I'm talking to you, it it. It sounds kind of chaotic, but it really isn't. <laughs> I think it's more chaotic when you say we have this release dates and these five things need to be in it. I think we one of our core principles uh, at Wildbit in general is to say we want to continue to increase our efficiency without increasing our stress levels as well. That's really important to us that we right. are – happy as a team and enjoy the work that we do. And this is part of that to say, okay, no one's in trouble when this thing's going to take two weeks longer. We just have a decision to make. Is it going to take yeah, two right. weeks longer or do we cut some stuff out of it?
0: Sure. And and so the and the opposite, when you've got a fixed scope, and a fixed timeline is pressure just continuously increases until you blow past the timeline inevitably, exactly. right? And then so,
2: everyone yeah. feels bad. <laughs> right. And
0: so by having, what I'm hearing is that by having weekly check-ins and making sure that everything is staying on track in terms of either scope or timeline, you have kind of a pressure release valve that happens at each of those weekly check-ins to make sure that the team stays sane and the project stays on track.
2: Yeah, and that's where where that uh, where Christina's uh, OKR okay, matrix is really useful because it you have I can really recommend this book because the, she talks about this confidence level. So every week we say what is our confidence out of ten that by the end of the quarter we're going to meet these goals, and and she says the goals that you should set for yourself, the objectives and the key results should start off in the beginning of the quarter. Your confidence should be five out of ten. So you should mm-hmm. – it should be hard enough that you're going to need to stretch yourself but not so easy that you – not so hard that you will never be able to do it. So you, you – and, and this took us a couple of quarters to get right and we're still learning. But we start off with – we have a 5 out of 10 chance to make this. And you know, if you're two weeks to the end of the quarter and you're a 2 out of 10 – you know something needs to change. Like that's when you change the timeline or or change the scope. Um, ideally two weeks out you're at eight out of ten. Like barring some kind of really bad situation, you're gonna be able to to make that.
0: Right. You should have a high level of confidence that you're gonna by the end of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. So um, can you talk a little bit about the tools or specifically like related to um, design systems or reusable bits of infrastructure or code yeah. or, or things that make it easier for you to scope and, and work on the actual problem instead of kind of reinventing the wheel each time?
2: Yeah, so we... Um... Uh, we use the usual su- uh, suspects in terms of tools to get our work done you know slack and all that stuff we do uh, use uh, invision in, in the beginning of a des- of the design phase of a, pro- of a project um to to gather feedback um from each other but then we 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 do use we started doing usability testing as well on on prototypes and those prototypes are high fidelity prototypes. And so our designers are our front end developers as well. So
0: and when you say high fidelity, do you mean it looks just like the actual web app? Or is it a little bit less?
2: It, it actually looks just like the web app. It's not throwaway code. It's code that becomes production right so uh so before you freak out <laughs> let me explain uh so i i know there's all these trade-offs right about okay if usability tests lower fidelity stuff it's much easier and quicker to make changes um if you if you do it too high fidelity and there's a big problem then it it becomes a big issue to, to make changes but for us what we found is if if we do our do our work right what we we do right testing so rapid iterative testing and evaluation so we do three or four usability tests then take some time to make changes then do it again then take some time to make changes to, then do it again so we don't have a let's say we don't do five or six usability tests and then it's done and then we have to figure it out we make changes as as we go because for, for us as a small team the outcome of our usability testing isn't a PowerPoint deck where we need to convince some VP of product that we know what we're doing. Right. We're a small team. All we need is better software, and we need to improve our software. So once it we're out of it… sounds like in, you're
0: doing it very iteratively.
2: Yes. So, so when we're out of the envision phase, our designer would, would build a, a functional high fidelity prototype um, that we would then take into testing. And, and after each day of testing, he would go back in and we would discuss this and he would go back in and make changes as we go. Um, so, uh, at, so at the end, what we have is, if we did our jobs right, a, a high fidelity prototype that needs a few more days of work and then can get integrated into the app.
0: So, are you taking the the markup directly from your Envision prototype and moving that into production?
2: No, the envision prototype is is uh, static. Um so the and then the the prototype is getting built uh, with within our app, basically.
0: Oh, I see, right. So you're moving it from um, a prototype in the app just to Envision for testing. and then, Forking that off and moving it into the production. Code.
2: No, we actually do testing on on the interactive prototype, not an in Invision. Invision is just for static mockups for us internally to oh, okay. we'll talk about. But yeah. then the prototype we build, uh, we uh, we make accessible externally. So we do remote testing over over video conferencing software called Zoom. So we mm-hmm. and we would then share this this URL with customers, and it's it's accessible to them, and they can play with it they can there's obviously nothing hooked up in the back end but they it's fully interactive for them
0: right No, that's good so it's kind of like having a staging environment that's sandboxed away from from your production back end just to do the testing with actual people
2: exactly just like that nice
0: so how do you select who you're going to test with i mean what is that segmented by personas or what's going on there
2: yeah so that's another uh, trade off thing. So ideally for a lot of our for my, for a lot of our projects ideally what we would do is hire a recruiting firm pay them a lot of money come up with <laughs> um recruiting questionnaires all that kind of stuff. Uh what we do instead because we want to do it quick and stay scrappy and move quickly through iterations is we have a a, a list um in campaign monitor that people can sign up for who want to help us with this stuff. And so on a regular basis I would email that list and and say, here's what we're gonna do some testing on. Um if you'd like to participate, pick some time on the calendar. So there are our customers and I know what we what we lose from that is a little bit of bias um from people who already use the product. But what we gain from them that is a lot of speed and so I've done this both ways uh, at eBay we used we had an internal recruiting team and um, and what I find is I, I haven't really found that the the results we get are of lower quality and the reason for that is we focus our right testing is focused on task-based usability testing so it's mm-hmm. not what do you think of this logo <laughs> it's here's a task you need to perform you need to sign up um, you need to check out, you need to do whatever. And we, um, because it's observational task-based usability testing, the making sure that we have, have the exact right target market person becomes less important because it's harder to fake and the bias is kind of taken care of because yep, it's exactly. observational.
0: Right, and all those people have already opted in to test the app for you.
2: Exactly, yeah. Right,
0: so there's no recruiting needed. Yep.
2: Yeah, so yeah, we which can do is nice. it much faster too.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, which is nice because you already have a, a user base to pull those people from. Yes. So rather than go out and try to find people externally, which actually brings up a, an interesting point. So if you've got people that are already familiar with the application, how are you testing things like onboarding for new users and making sure that that process is efficient?
2: Yep. So we uh, we just did this actually. We had a we were testing and we were testing a new. Um, uh, uh, sign up process, and what's important there is to what. What's interesting about our product is the people who we ended up tested with either signed up so long ago that they can't remember <laughs> what it looked like, <laughs> nice. or they weren't actually the people signing up. So this is what often happens: is um, some kind of manager or IT manager person would sign up and then uh, create accounts for their developers to to do the uh, to to actually be in the app. So. The majority of the people we tested actually haven't gone through the sign-up process because they were just handed an account and said, here you go, go, go play around. Um, so we try to account for that at least in our recruiting is that uh, either enough time has passed or we test with people who haven't used that particular feature before.
0: Yeah, well, it's good that you're paying attention to that. Try to, try to remove as many biases as possible, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So are, are you using um, design systems or a style guide or anything? Um, I mean, the app is already pretty mature, so I'm assuming yeah. you've got a lot of that stuff in place. Yeah, um, that
2: is uh, – it's – all I can say is we really want to, <laughs> and we've we have this huge list of uh, the the um, we have a design system project in Jira. I promise, like <laughs> <can> we, uh, <laughs> and and uh, every every quarter the designer and I'm like this quarter we're gonna get to it. So the furthest we've gone uh, at the moment is to have an internal voice and tone guide specifically for the app and interactions in the app. So what the buttons should say and how does how to speak to customers in direct. Um, one to one communication, including how the app should sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so we
0: we for we things like have, error messages and alerts and so on.
2: Correct that and action buttons. What how that should work and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it and then as we as we redesign certain areas of the app, it becomes more consistent because of the way um, that it's implemented right now. But we 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 recognize we have a need for a design system um to make those things easier, and so it's one of those things where I'm embarrassed to say we're still working on it, but well, <laughs> but you
0: recognize we, the need, right? so yeah, it'd be yeah. it'll be interesting to see what the implementation of a design system does and how that impacts your 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 production cycle, your day to day work and uh, what what kind of relevance that has actually for your your customers using the application. Do they notice a difference?
2: Yeah. Yeah and, and you know we've, we've gone so far as to do a bunch of the audits we need to do in terms of button styles and all that stuff and and as as usual with 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 an app that's been around for a while yeah there are some inconsistencies there and um, but what we try to do is fix those every time we touch the app so error messages become more consistent as we go buttons become more consistent as we go
0: right uh, uh, but a continual improvement
2: right yeah because uh, it's you know it's interesting to work on an app like this where um people really love it. Uh, and I'm not saying that as – I'm not in marketing, so I'm not trying to <laughs> say anything weird about it. But it's our, – our target – our users are developers, which first of all means that the feedback that they give is incredibly specific and passionate. Right. Uh, but second, we uh, before I came here, so I can't take credit of this, but uh, the team really focused on the right areas of the product. They realized what's really important is this deliverability issue. So it's a product that is really successful already. So that changes kind of how you do product management and design on a product like that because there aren't these obvious gaps and obvious things that needs to be fixed. Everything that we do is... is uh, iteration and improvement. So uh, it, it's a, it's not a bad problem to have. But for us, there aren't these giant gaps that we need to fix. It's all about how do we listen to customers in the right way and how do we uh, add the features that are going to be most valuable to everyone, to, to the most number of people in our target market.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that early on, the, the product was focused on users' goals and, and what their pain point was, and, and, and deliverability is the highest pain point, right? You want that email to be delivered accurately, reliably, and very quickly, right? Yeah. And so if you solve that problem, then a lot of the other problems then become kind of secondary, and as long as you're doing a great job on deliverability, then you can focus more on having you know a good voice and tone, like you were saying, yeah, or having yeah. a fun, playful interface, or whatever those secondary things are.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think we and we're big fans of jobs to be done here as well. So we're currently uh, re- redoing our our homepage to focus a lot more on that as well. Like I, I look at some competitor sites, and it's it's very much about them, and we want to try to make sure we. we we solve customer problems so f- for us one of the big messages in the new landing pages will be are, are you tired of missing or delayed emails
0: yeah right like
2: I, if because if you are that's where we're from we're gonna we're gonna show you live data of how long it takes emails to get to the inbox all that stuff is what what consistent with this message of if If you're sending emails that are really crucial to your app, do this uh, use us. But it doesn't mean that it's done like there's so much to do. there's design system right there's there's um, areas of the app that can have definitely improved uh, usability and those are all things that that we're working that we'll work on. It's just interesting to work on a product where the next thing isn't as obvious as as it sometimes could be.
0: Yeah, so speaking to the users' goals first. Yeah, um, helps them understand that you have their best interest. Um, obviously, the product is doing what it needs to do, and then you can focus on all the things that make the app. So it's it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy, right? So you you've made it usable, mm-hmm. you've made it desirable. Um, you know, now you can make it fun, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think about the Nielsen Norman Group definition of of uh, usefulness that it's about both utility and usability, and I think. We sometimes focus on one or the other. There's, there can be extremely usable products that serve no purpose, <laughs> or there there are lots of products out there that are extremely useful but really hard to use.
0: Yeah, and, or like the difference between being functional and being beautiful, right? Is yeah, they're yeah. not mutually exclusive,
2: right? So I think for us, we know we have a product with lots of utility, and we we can we can improve that utility with features. But there are also um, areas where we can improve the usability to make that a more enjoyable uh, experience, and that's what we're we're focused on. As long as we continue to be able to scale our most important feature, which is our deliverability, um, we create room for ourselves to also improve the usability.
0: Yeah, so you're keeping the eye on the ball, so to speak, with keeping deliverability high and then focusing on everything else.
2: Yeah, and and I think more than anything, maybe even more for us than other companies, that key discovery of what our what do users really need is extremely important for a product that that feels as mature as postmark does um, because it needs change over time um, we 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 might see a cool technology that we're like oh we should try this but no one has that need um, so i th- that's another reason why the um the usability testing that we try to do very frequently is, is so important because we, it's an opportunity for us to speak to our customers in real time. Uh, I right. have a, a calendar link that any, any one of our customers can set up a call uh, with me at any time. So I t- try to talk to customers every week. And, and I think that's the really important part to make sure that we don't get off on some kind of tangent and not stay focused on what is core, which is what are our customers' real user needs.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful that a product manager is so accessible to the people who are using the product. I mean that's a that's a great lesson and something that I think a lot of other people should should learn from and, and should try to do is be available because ultimately, you know, you're there to make sure the product is serving the needs of the customers. And if you mm-hmm. don't talk to the customers, if you don't or listen to them, how do you know if you're if you're doing a good job?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if it'll work for every product, but uh, it, it, I think it depends on your, or your target market. I don't think it'll work for Instagram, for example. Uh,
0: but, <laughs> well, but, I mean, there's a certain scale, right? Like yes, at exactly. some point, one person is not able to answer all of those questions. But, but just the, the wisdom of being accessible oh, and absolutely. actually listening to the people who are using the product is really powerful. There's a lot of companies yeah. who could learn from that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, maybe with a service like Calendly, it could work f- at, at a scale of Instagram because you can say, I I can't have more than two calls a day or three a week or whatever.
0: Yeah, right. Um, and Calendly is actually here in Atlanta. We've talked to them. Uh, and, uh, cool. I think they're doing a good job. Um, so that, that's a good example.
2: Yeah, I've been a huge fan of that and just being able to, to say uh, – like I would jump into support sometimes and I always – Say or just set up a call with me and we can talk about this because I get so much out of just the question. Tell me how you use Postmark, because what I I'm really interested in, in specifically again for a product that that's mature as as Postmark is what's happening at the edges. Like what are people integrating Postmark with that we don't see in our system because they're not using. Yeah,
0: exactly. Postmark.
2: Because that's where it gets really interesting in terms of expanding the product into its next thing. Like, let's say, for example, you're sending not just emails, but you're also sending SMSs for for order confirmations or whatever. They're not using Postmark for those SMSs. So understanding why people use – I'm just using as an example, not that we're going to add SMS, but um, why are people using SMS? What are they using for it? Why is email not enough for them? So those are the questions that I find really interesting is what are the edges that Postmark connects with and that I think is important for every product. And, and I learned this at eBay when we would do a lot of um, – uh, ethnography and in visit in home visits with, with sellers in particular is there's so much that goes on with selling on eBay that has nothing to do with the eBay sites. People have right. Excel sp- spreadsheets or sticky notes on their monitors that where they do things that they should be doing on eBay that we could be doing better for them. And the same is true for postmark, where there's lots of stuff that people are doing on these edges that we don't know about that could be incorporated into postmark. And that's what I feel why it's so useful to talk to our customers often.
0: yeah, right. And that's how you map the future of the product, right? is by yeah. listening to you know what what things are right on the edge of of what we're doing. What are we touching that we don't see? You know we call that the adjacent possible is you know what's just right on the edge that we're not currently doing but we could easily add or or that we could somehow facilitate yeah 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 so what's the future of, of postmark look like what are you working on that's um that's exciting and what could we expect to see in the next uh, 6 to 12 months
2: yeah so i can um I, I we should have had this call 4 weeks from now <laughs> then i could have told you what our next big thing <laughs> is but we have a little bit of strategic shift going on uh not in terms of uh, our core feature, which will always be b- deliverability, but something else. So, uh, I want to be like a congressman at, who's who's getting asked questions and say, I, "I'm sorry, I can't talk about that." Yeah, you'll <laughs> but, just have to wait and see. Huh? Yeah, maybe we can do an addendum in a, in a, in a few weeks. Um, well, we'll just
0: have you back on the show in uh, in a, several months, and uh, you can talk about what that rollout was like. And yeah, and, uh, talk yeah, about there's so talk.
2: much to say about this. Like, uh, I've been talking to to Garrett actually. You know. About about how we want to write about this because there's so much that goes on in how do you decide if if a small strategic shift, I'm not going to call it a pivot because it's not, but like how does a little bit of a strategic shift, how do you decide on that and if it's the right thing to do or not? How do you then roll out that across marketing and product that can sometimes, like, I don't want someone to get to the landing page and see different language than they see in onboarding, and that often happens in these silos. So, again, that was one of my big roles in this is, is how do we have a consistent message uh, everywhere. Um, so, yeah, I would say that, that there's something very interesting coming in, in the next few weeks. And, and, um, and after that, I think what's going to be really important to us is to just continue to work on scale because we're seeing some really good growth. And we want to be able to continue to deliver on that promise, uh, of yeah. fastest delivery and, and biggest reliability.
0: Well, I'd love to get you back on the show in the future and and, and hear more about that. So, uh, since we're about out of time today, um, any parting thoughts or anything you'd like to say before we wrap up?
2: Yeah, I think you know I'm thinking about what I what is most interesting to me right now, and what I'm thinking about a lot. And and I've I spent a I spent a lot of time on the internet writing and and reading, and but I've come to this realization. Maybe it's nothing new. It probably isn't. But that we tend to overcomplicate things. Uh, there are yeah. like I, I read this this thing the other day about uh, data driven design, and I ended up spending a day on on redoing our metrics for postmark. And then I realized this is fun for me, but I don't know if this really helps the product. <laughs> Not like it was wasted right. time, but it was we we overcomplicate things so much. So when I talk about, yeah, we don't have two week sprints. We don't have set dates. It's, it's all in the interest of being efficient without being too complicated. And I don't think I've fully figured that out, but I think it's something that is a real focus for me this year, in particular for our team. And it's something we'll discuss in two weeks when we get together is uh, again, how do we increase the efficiency without, uh, within the team without complicating things and, and, Getting uh, increasing our stress levels. So I'm not going to stop reading and and I'm sure that everyone who listens to your podcast reads a lot of new stuff every week. But I think that we need to figure out when we read stuff that sounds exciting to us, what is the outcomes that came out of that process or model that someone is talking about? And then simplify it to make it work for you. Because just taking something and applying it because it's new is is maybe not the best use of our time. And yeah, that's just what I'm thinking about at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Is you know how do you how do you? I think a lot of companies a are searching for how do they increase their scale or increase their efficiency or or any of those things without increasing headcount or without increasing stress, right? So I think it's mm-hmm. a a lesson that a lot of people are trying to learn. A lot of companies are working on. So. Uh, again, I think it'd be great to have you back on at some point and, and talk about you know your evolution through that process and what you've learned. So
2: Yeah, I'd love to because I think so over the over the next few weeks there's there's this uh launch, but there's also the retreat's gonna be interesting because we're gonna actually be honest with ourselves and say, Okay, we've had this new process that we've been working on uh with quarterly planning and all that for a year. What worked, what didn't work. Um, right. And, and, you know, we, we hear less about that. I, I wrote a wonderful blog post about how we spent a week coming up with pro, postmark strategy and vision, but I should also write one about where are we a year later? You know, what did we get wrong and what are we Yeah, that'd aims? be a good so, retrospective. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to chat about that again.
0: Cool. So, um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, maybe learn more about what you're working on or chat with you about it, what's the best way to reach out?
2: I think it's still Twitter. I I I don't I don't think that's shut down yet, right? So I think think it's still uh, going. Rian V D M R I A N V D M, or Postmark is just Postmark app, um, and uh, yeah. Or I'm my email address is Rian at wildbit.com. R I A N at wildbit.com. Um, and then, uh, or you can set up a call with me on, on a Calendly link that I can probably share with you.
0: Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. So, yeah. Well, we'll link up your Twitter and, and that stuff on the show notes. So people can go to, uh, design look for your episode and, and get a link to you there and then they can reach out and then you can send them Calendly and, and, uh, take it from there. Sounds good. Well, Rian, it's been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um looking forward to the next round.
2: Thanks so much. It was really fun.
0: Yeah. Take care.
1: That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Design Driven. We're glad you enjoy the show. Have comments, questions, or an idea that you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us on the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email. And tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.